0: Lord, we do thank you today for the precious word that you have given us, we thank you for the privilege that we have that word, a light to our path, that we do not stumble along in darkness as the pagan world does. We thank you that you have, in your word, graciously promised us salvation. We thank you that you promised to bless our families and to draw our families to yourself. We thank you for the the sign of that, even this morning, as we saw one of our little ones make profession of faith. We pray, Father, that you might help us to honor your word and to honor you and your holy character. Teach us in our families to love you and to worship you. And, Father, we pray that today and throughout this month that you would give us, through the teaching of your word, practical advice that we would be able to take and put into use so that we and our families might come closer to walking in a way that pleases you and brings glory to your name. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. During the month of May in our congregation, we're going to be emphasizing the family during our Sunday school time. Um, There are a lot of reasons why that should be done, uh, and some of them will come out in the lesson today. Uh, I hope that we do not de-emphasize the family in this congregation. It might sometimes seem that way uh, because we put an emphasis upon the church and upon social reform and education and so forth. Um, Whether we do or not, the fact is we ought not to de-emphasize the family because it's the key institution in God's dealing with his people. Uh, We as Presbyterians, those who have a Reformed background in theology, appreciate this more than others do because we see that in the Old Testament the covenant of grace was administered through uh, God's promise to a family unit, to Abraham and to his seed, and that we have that same covenant of grace to enjoy and to walk in today. Um, we see in the New Testament how the Apostle Paul says that our families are holy, our children are holy, because there are believing parents, or even one believing parent in the family. God has a concern for the family unit. And this morning, uh, what I'm going to speak to you about is the necessity of family worship, or what is often called in American idiom, family devotions. Um, The idea of having this kind of a presentation came because The session during one of the calls it was making on a family in our congregation was asked, um, with a great deal of sincerity, but also a sense of uh, what do we do, how can we have family devotions? We need instruction and help and direction in that. And so it's possible that for some of you I'm going to be bringing coals to Newcastle to use the expression that's maybe old hat to you. It's worth hearing again. And for many of you, I think it probably will be the case that you'll see some practical things that you could be doing so that you could implement family devotions in your own family. I want to make very clear, and then I'm going to finally get into my lesson, that what I'm going to be saying to you today is not intended to step on anyone's toes. I'm going to be the first to admit my family does not consistently uh, follow its pattern of family devotions and do all those things that uh, we know that we could do and should do. Uh, This is not um, in order to induce guilt in you to talk about how you don't have family devotions. It really is meant to help you, one, to motivate you and give you some practical steps you can take. Next Lord's Day, uh, Lord willing, I will uh, take the lesson into literature that you could be using in family devotions. And it's our hope to have piles of it on the back literature table so that when you leave here, And I get done giving you instruction on how you can have family devotions. You're going to go back to that table, pick up the material. If you don't already have it, go home and start doing it. And then when we call on you as a session, we'll ask about that and say, how's it going? Have you started your family devotions? Are you consistently following them? How can we help you more? But this morning we begin by looking, first of all, at the biblical charge to pursue family devotions. Turning your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy the sixth chapter, where I'd like to read the first nine verses, Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 to 9. Hear God's word. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the ordinances, which Jehovah your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land whither you go over to possess it that thou mightest fear Jehovah thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as Jehovah the God of thy fathers hath promised unto thee, in a land flowing with milk and honey." Hear, O Israel, Jehovah our God is one. And thou shalt love Jehovah thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be upon thy heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand and they shall be for frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the doorpost of thy house, and upon thy gates. You notice that in this particular paragraph from the book of Deuteronomy, God charges us, who are his people, to teach our sons, our daughters as well, our children, to teach our children diligently all his word. Now that is a commandment that comes to you, and what you need to ask yourself is when do I do that? When do I teach diligently the Word of God, all the Word of God, to my children? If you're like most, um, even most evangelical Christians, you probably cannot point to a particular time when you do that. I think we have it in our heads as Americans that somehow our children get taught religion somewhat by osmosis. Uh, We put them in an environment that's a Christian environment, and we bring them along to church, and uh, they are baptized, and they go to Sunday school, and I hope in every case that they go to Christian uh, school uh, day by day, and we think, well, that's it. But you see, this is a command that comes first to parents. You are to teach your children, to teach them well the Word of God. When do you do that? Why should you do it? Notice that before we read of the order to parents to teach their children the word of God, we have the um, first and great commandment. When Jesus was approached and asked, which is the heaviest commandment of all? Which commandment covers most of our moral duty? What is the first, the primary commandment? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And that is, he is quoting from Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter here. Verse 5, And thou shalt love Jehovah thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be upon thy heart. And then what do you do about that? The very first thing you do about that, if you are keeping covenant with God, is you teach your children. You pay attention to your family. The first thing you do is not run for president of the United States where you can apply the law of God. The first thing you do is not start a business where you can be a Christian businessman. The first thing you do is not even to go out and begin a Christian school. The first thing you do if you love God with all that is in you, the very first thing mentioned is pay attention to your family. Teach your children the word of God. Verse 2 of this passage shows us the covenantal unity of the family in obedience to God's commands. That thou mightest fear Jehovah thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life. God says that he is in covenant with us and to be in covenant with us is to be in covenant with our children. And that's why we must not only offer obedience and love and worship in our own lives, but we must see to it that our children do so as well. The unit of response, if I can put it this way, is to be the family, not just individuals. And again, it's, it's an American foible, especially at the end of the 20th century where we have moral relativism and autonomy being pushed at us all the time. It's an American foible to think of our response to God as always being individualistic. I am to do this. I have this relationship with God. That's a genuine uh, aspect of our Christian religion. It's true, but it is not the whole story. Our response as covenant keepers is a response of our family to God. When the Philippian jailer was converted, you notice that uh, he went home and he was baptized and his family as well. The response that God calls for is that of you and your son and your son's son. That's what obedience calls for. Moreover, if you are pursuing the teaching of your family, God's word, in covenantal obedience, you'll find that it will be a safeguard against forgetting redemption. Look at verse 12. And beware, lest thou forget Jehovah, who brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. If you are teaching your children day by day when they rise up and when they lie down and when they walk through the gate and they come back into the house, when in every aspect of your family's life you are pursuing the word of God, then they will not forget that God, to use the Old Testament idiom, brought them out of the house of bondage, that God is the source of their liberation, their redemption, their salvation in Jesus Christ. Most Christian parents, whether they are having family devotions regularly or not, will tell you that they are very concerned and probably pray that their children will not wander from the faith. We don't want to see our children grow up to be worldly unbelievers, to be pagan in their lifestyle or their convictions. We want them to spend all eternity with us in heaven, don't we? We want our children to be saved. If we do, then we need to pay attention to consistent family worship. Then we will not forget the God who brought us out of the house of bondage. Moreover, if we do this, the Bible says we are set apart from the unbelieving world. Verses 14 and 15 of this passage. You shall not go after other gods of the gods of the peoples that are round about you. For Jehovah thy God in the midst of thee is a jealous God, lest the anger of Jehovah thy God be kindled against thee, and he destroy thee from off the face of the earth. We teach our children, we teach them consistently daily about the word of God, so they will not go after the gods of the land. So they will not intermarry with the pagans round about. Uh, It's it's heartbreaking for a pastor to have to deal with parents who have lost their children either to unbelief or if their children nominally profess Jesus are nevertheless willing to date unbelievers and to marry unbelievers. Uh, They've made covenant with the gods of the land, to use the language here. They have wandered really from the circle of Christian faith in doing that. And part of the reason for that is we have not pursued daily, consistent teaching of God's word in our homes. The Bible tells us that this is a way in which we can teach redemption to our children. Verses 20 to 23. When thy son ask thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and ordinances which Jehovah our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and Jehovah brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And Jehovah showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his house before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence, that he might bring us in to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. And so when we have the word of God constantly in front of us, your children, because they're naturally inquisitive, are going to say, what does that mean? Why do we have those commands? Why are we different from others? And you're going to say, because God set his love upon us and drew us out of the house of bondage. He redeemed us from Satan's domain. He has set us free and he has loved us and saved us. And this is the lifestyle that is called for. That's what all this means. It's the greatest opportunity in the world to evangelize your children. And they come to expect you're going to talk about these things. I'll be honest with you. Many of you have trouble evangelizing your children. You should say it's so awkward what am I supposed to do? Some night go over and turn off the TV and say, now we're going to talk about religion? Or some night before they go to bed say, oh, well, I know I don't ordinarily do this, but I'd like to talk to you about Jesus tonight? Well, believe me, I'd rather have you do that than to do nothing. But you see, doing that, you feel awkward and your children feel awkward. They say, what is this? It's kind of like a voice from outside. Our life is not tied into those sorts of things. It's kind of like, here's the special evangelism time. No! No! You don't want your children to think of evangelism some special time in their life. You don't want to say, we talk about the Word of God every day. And every day you talk about it, it gives you the opportunity to make sure the way of salvation is set before them and how to live as saved people is set before them. And so the biblical charge to pursue family devotions, I hope you see some motivation in this for covenant keeping our families should respond as a unity in obedience to God. It's the first application of the love command that we lead our families this way. It keeps us from forgetting redemption. gives us an opportunity to teach redemption to our children and sets us apart from the unbelieving world. In verses 7 and 9, we see the necessity of making religion an integral part of everyday life. I love the way in which this is put. At the last of uh, verse 7, we read, And you shall talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, when thou risest up, verse 9, and thou shalt write them upon the doorpost of thy house and upon thy gates. This is what's called hyperbole, figure of speech. It's an overstatement. I mean, if you did this literally, you wouldn't have time to go to work and put food on the table and so forth. But the idea is, wherever they look and whatever they're doing, the word of God is part of their life. When they eat, and when they sleep, and when they're doing their recreation, when they're going out and coming in, every aspect of the family's life centers upon the word of God. Religion, therefore, will not simply be a Sunday affair if you have family devotions and if you lead your children to follow the word of God in all aspects of their life. Religion will not seem something special outside the house. You know, it's amazing how much is taught uh, subtextually, as we put it. And w- we sometimes think all of our teaching is the words that come out of our mouth, but what do we teach our children when religion is only something that we participate in when we get dressed up and leave the house? Now all of a sudden we're on a different you know, kind of lifestyle. We're in, a, we're in a different mode of thought and behavior. Now we're going to be religious. Now we want our children, as I've already indicated, to see religion as integral to every part of life. In verse 8, we see that it's necessary that God's word come to govern all of their thoughts and actions, ours as well, of course, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand so that all that you do in the world is governed by the law of God, and they shall be for frontlets between thine eyes so that the way they see the world and think about things is governed by the word of God. Now, this aim, which is the aim of Christian schooling, of course, needs support at home. When children go to school, hopefully what they're getting there is a, a greater in-depth refinement of what they already have at home. They're seeing how it comes to apply in English and physics and chemistry and history and uh, physical education and so forth. But they begin to see things that way and to live that way at home. In fact, that theme of having the Word of God bind our hand and our thoughts, that theme will not seem very credible to our young people. If they only hear it at school, and they don't see it lived out at home. And so it is necessary that we have a time where the family worships God, where the family pays attention to the teaching of God's word. What are the aims of your family devotion? I'm going to try to be real simple here. A, B, C's. Aim one. I want you to think about this as a time where you are, first of all, to teach. God's words diligently to your children. Verse seven puts it this way: Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest down and risest up. That's the point of family devotions: that you diligently teach God's words to your children. In Genesis eighteen nineteen, by the way, I want you to see the way of Abraham, the father of the faithful. Genesis eighteen nineteen. For I have known him to the end that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of Jehovah to do righteousness and justice, to the end that Jehovah may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken to him. God's promise to Abraham was tied to the fact that he knew Abraham would teach his children after him. There again we see this covenantal perspective. Teach God's word diligently. Secondly, the aim of your family devotions. Should be to rejoice with thankful praise before god and even song we'll talk about that next week a little bit more but uh, if you find it you know hard to think of a change where you read the bible and do some instruction every day you're probably going to find it even more awkward i think you ought to learn to sing in your family to praise god some of you have a musical ability you can pull out a guitar or be at the piano and that helps but even those of you who don't have those advantages should learn in your family to praise God, even in song. Look at Colossians three, verses sixteen and seventeen. If the first aim of family devotions is to teach God's words diligently to our children, then we need to remember that one of the ways God is ordained in worship that He um, have His Word taught is through praise and song. Colossians three, verses sixteen and seventeen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. And how do we do that? With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts unto God. And so family devotions as a time of instruction in God's word should also be a time of praising God, even to the point of praising him in song. And then thirdly, the aim of family devotions is to learn to pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, you can turn to it, but of course it's one of those short verses that says, pray without ceasing. Well, we're going to pray without ceasing. Obviously, when we have family devotions, that should be a time of prayer in our family as well. We should not only be in a prayerful spirit and talking with God when we're driving and working, but... Also, when we're in our families, and most especially when our families are coming together for worship. Okay, so I hope I've convinced you that you need to have family devotions, and I hope you can see what the three basic aims are going to be. Instruction, praise, and prayer. But now let's get practical. When should you have family devotions? And wouldn't you love it if the pastor just kind of cut through all the complications and said, everyone should have family devotions at 8.15 every night. That's it. And how long should you have family devotions? Well, for 45 minutes, eight fifteen to 9 o'clock every night. That's what the Word of God teaches. You've got to do it that way. And uh, what should you do at family devotion? I mean, now wait a minute. It isn't that simple, is it? The Bible doesn't specify a time of day or a length of time that you should have family devotions. Why do you think that is? Well, probably because of what you've already faced as a difficulty. Families are different. There are some families that just cannot work well, psychologically, emotionally, early in the morning. They can't drag themselves together to the breakfast table at the same time. And that's not to make, if your family's like that, I'm not making fun of you at all. There are different lifestyles. There are different personalities we deal with. There are different schedules. You know, the husband and the family, or the, the, the wife as well, the mom and dad, sometimes they're different work schedules. Not everybody's the same. And so the answer to the question, when should you have family devotions, the answer is when it's best for you. And my guess is, if you're like my family, and I'm hoping you are, that we share some of these common foibles. If you're like my family, you'll have to do some experimenting. Probably have to go a few weeks trying this time and a few weeks trying that time until you finally hit upon the time that is best for you. But now let me warn you right from the outset, no time is going to be easy. So if you think, you know, we'll try it in the morning, we'll try it in the afternoon, we'll try it in the evening, try it right before bed, whatever, and then we're just going to find the one, oh, hey, this one just fits right in, no temptation not to do it, no problems, no stumbling blocks, and so that's the time we're going to do it, you're not going to find that time. Satan's not going to let you. He doesn't want you to have family devotions. You can be very sure the evil one is not happy we're having this lesson today. It will greatly diminish the power of Christ's kingdom if you just keep on thinking, well, it's just too hard for us to find a time to get together. It is not too hard if your priorities are right. Mine are not always right. I've already confessed that. I don't always do what I should do about family devotions. But if our priorities are right, we will find the time. I do think sometimes will be better than others for you probably not a good idea to have family devotions at 12 noon if all your kids are in school and you, you know you and your wife you know are working you know 30 miles apart from each other everyone has to drive home real quick and have lunch and I mean that's not going to work that's not practical so if that doesn't work for you how about breakfast how about dinner how about before bed <coughs> try those I'll tell you what it's worth and my family with us going a zillion different places all the time, we found the only feasible time was breakfast. And now we all do drag ourselves to the table, even if it's only for the devotions. You may miss your cereal, but you're not going to miss God's Word. And that's what we like to believe our priority will be. And we, um, if we get late, and the family devotions get you know squeezed in there, but we want to do it at breakfast so that we start the day as a family worshiping God. Try that. If it doesn't work, try the evening Some of you with young children may like dinner better, as long as your children are not running off to baseball practice and to play practice and all the other things that get in the way. Try that. See if it works in your family. So when should you do it? When it's best for you, but you'll never find a time that Satan's going to let it be easy. And how long should your devotions be? Oh, I think it'd be great. How about three hours? Try three hours of devotions every day. Nah, it's not going to work, right? So get practical, Pastor. Very seriously, I think all families should start to have devotions 10 or 15 minutes a day. You know, when I say that, you all feel badly. Even those of you who are not doing it say, gee, that doesn't sound like very much. It's not. I will tell you this, 10 or 15 good minutes of, you know, the day with your family before God will really make a difference in your family. So it doesn't sound like much, but it will make a big difference. And my hope is that if you start with 10 or 15 minutes a day, you might just find that you'll expand it to 20, 25 a day. Sometimes that happens. But I'd rather set you know, the lowest rung of the ladder so low that everyone can get up there and grab hold of it and get doing something than to say, oh, do it for three hours, and then no one's going to really go out and do that. Do you think you can find 10 minutes 10 or 15 minutes a day where your family could say, hey, we're going to honor the God who brought us out of the house of bondage, who redeemed our family and put his name upon us and blesses us with his word and promises to to guide us. Are we going to get together and learn about him, praise his name and pray to him today? I think you all can do that and I call upon you to do so. When you do get together, what should you do at family devotions? I'll be real brief this morning about that so the next week I can get into more detail. Um, you, should, uh, you should know that in the Westminster Confession of Faith and Standards that are published by the Free Church uh, of Scotland, uh, you find this is a wonderful publication because it has the confession and the catechisms and the proof text and all that, but it also has the, uh, uh, the National Covenant and uh, the Directory for Worship and all that. Those of you who are familiar with this publication, do you know what the very last publication is in here before you get to the index? Should be aware of this. Presbyterians a number of years ago were on to this. The last publication in here is the Directory for Family Worship. They have a directory for church worship, and they have a directory uh, or a manual for church government, something like that. But they also have a directory for family worship. And as you read it, you can see, of course, it's a different culture than ours, and they're facing different problems and so forth. But they actually printed that up. They wanted people to know, here's guidelines. We're far from doing what they are. We're only having a couple of Sunday school classes, but I'd like to do something like that. First of all, I'm going to read what they said, and then I'll give you a modern version of it. Section 2, the ordinary duties comprehended under the exercise of piety, which should be in families, when they are convened to that effect, are these. Notice the family should be convened for the purposes of piety, and when they are... First prayer and praises performed with a special reference as well as to the public condition of the kirk of god that's the scottish word for church for the church of god and this kingdom as to the present case of the family and every member thereof when you get together you ought to pray for the needs of the church and for the members of the family and the general needs that is corporately as a family next reading of the scriptures with catechizing in a plain way. Notice that, in a plain way, so your children understand. Use the children's catechism if you have to. Start easy, build them up in the holy faith. Reading of the scriptures with catechizing in a plain way that the understandings of the simpler may be the better enabled to profit under the public ordinances. That is, when your children come to church, it'll start to make sense because of what they're learning at home and they made more capable to understand the scriptures when they are read, together with godly conferences tending to the edification of all the members in the most holy faith, as also uh, admonition and rebuke upon just reasons from those who have authority in the family. That last one, um, we do that in my family sometimes. We get together and we have to have what I call a family meeting to talk about people who aren't pulling together and living harmoniously or doing their chores or whatever it may be, that too is part of what you can do at family devotions when there's a rebuke or when there's exhortation or when there's commendation called for. Your family will find that its unity is symbolized by that time together. If it's 10 minutes at breakfast or 15 minutes at dinner, whatever it may be. So let me give it to you in modern form. Five things I suggest you do at family devotions and next week then I'll get more detail. First, when you get together, read a portion from God's Word. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be a whole chapter. Sometimes, as my children will tell you, I read two verses. And they're more than what I can expound on at breakfast that morning. Sometimes we read a paragraph. Sometimes a whole chapter. So, But read Scripture. Two, instruct from God's Word. Fathers and mothers, you need to gain confidence in your Christian faith. So that when you read the Bible, you can say to your little ones, do you know what this means? To ask them questions about it. To make sure, and I hate to use my family as an illustration, I don't want my children to think I'm criticizing them. It's not just the children, the parents too. We sometimes have minds that wander. We're thinking about, how am I going to get ready for this and that? When you ask questions, you know the kids are going to be listening because they don't want to be embarrassed when they don't know the answer. But you ask questions to make sure they're understanding the text properly. Thirdly, make application to family needs. Don't just expound upon how the world needs to change or you know some abstract point of theology, but make sure when you make application, you exhort your family about where they're living and what they're doing. Fourthly, share praise. There should be a time when people say, what are we thankful for today? What happened last night or yesterday that we should remember to say thank you to God for? And sing together. Um, this has fallen into... Forgive us of our moral failings, unfortunately. Um, I want to get myself kicked into gear about this too. But when my children were younger, we taught them hymns of the faith. We, you know, I still remember little Michael, two years old, singing "Trust and Obey" with all of his heart. You know, and the musical, um, the musical quality of that in the family the time where they should see you pray and learn you ought to call on them say will you pray today do you remember what we all said we're going to thank God for and ask him about make sure your children learn to pray and when they pray they should begin to glorify and thank God teach your children in the family not to begin their prayers saying give me give me give me or to help us to lead more glorifying lives and then we petition him for the needs of our family our church our school our personal friends and our state Okay. What do you do when you get together for family devotions? Read a portion of God's Word. Ask your children questions about it. Make application of what you've read to the family. Share matters of praise. Learn to sing together and then pray. And each member, hopefully, will, as a family, learn to do that. Where you glorify God, ask his forgiveness, and seek you know, to have your petitions met. Okay, do you have any questions on today's lesson that you would like to ask now? I know we're over time, I'll be quick. David? The question is, do I recommend a separate time for husbands and wives? Um, The assumption here is you have children in the family, so you might have a whole family time of devotions and then husbands and wives have their devotions. I don't have a general answer, yes or no, for that. Some people find it best for the husbands and wives to share their Christian faith with the family, um, and and that works out. Some, I think it would be preferable, if you can find the time and do it, for you to have a time with your wife alone as well, but I don't think there's a general answer. You can't go to a verse of the Bible that says you have to have family devotions, but you also have to have couple devotions. It doesn't work just that simply. Yes. Yeah, Is that a guarantee? No. In fact, um, you may want to pick up my tapes on um, on raising children. Um, what is the title of that sermon? It was in two parts. It had to do with the rod of discipline. What's that? Spare not the rod. That's right. Spare rod, sparse love. Thank you. Um, it is necessary to use rod, and later in this month, um, Pastor Tony is going to be talking about discipline in the family as well. But real quickly, the answer to that question is, I honestly think that the, the Hebrew, not to uh, you know, go back on my weakness here, but the Hebrew uh, would indicate that if you let a child go his own way, bring up a child according to his own way, give him his way, when he gets old, he won't depart from it. So it's not a promise, it's a threat. It's a threat that if you don't discipline your children you'll find they're going to have ingrained in them their waywardness their autonomy as it were okay, another question okay there'll be more i'm sure practical questions and i don't want you to hesitate to ask them for fear that it will reveal that you're not doing everything i've already told you we're not doing everything we should uh, let's just see if we can help each other here next week i'll get real practical about literature that we have that you can use and what to do at family devotions and if you have any questions I'll try to answer them okay let's close in a word of prayer Father we thank you for the reminder of your word today of uh, how important our children are and our families are how important they are first to you and how important they should be to us we pray that we would give the best to our children that we give them not just clothes to wear and food to eat and, and the material pleasures of this life but we would give them the holy scriptures and give them the Holy Scriptures at their level of understanding, that we might answer their questions and show them the way of redemption and draw them close to walking with our God. We thank you that you've given us families and pray that you would make us more diligent in being obedient as covenant-keeping families. We pray that you would help us to understand your word and to apply it to our families. Indeed, we pray that... As we continue to grow as families, we would see that the word of God is central and integral to everything that we do. As we know that this not only is best for us and our spiritual good, but it above all gives glory to you. And we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.